Okay, last week we started in on consecration. Didn't get real far through it. Surprise, surprise. Uh, And uh, we'll pick up there uh, this week. Again, we saw that consecration uh, uh, is something that is often very misunderstood in Christian circles, or at least what God's looking for us to consecrate is is often very misunderstood. Now, I thought last week I probably should have taken a minute and even defined consecration. By definition, it, it's the act of dedicating yourself to the service or worship of God. Uh, and again, that when people hear the word consecrate, that generally, uh, and it, at times consecration in scripture isn't just of people, you know, when the temple was built, uh, the instruments of the temple were consecrated to God, the priesthood was consecrated to God, uh, the nation of Israel uh, was consecrated to God. But we're talking about consecration in uh, the Christian life. Now, we, and I'll review a little bit. Again, we have some here this week who weren't there here in last and still missing a few, I think, because of spring break. It just finishes up this weekend, so we have some different ones out of town. But last week we saw with um, consecration, there are several significant points to keep in mind. One is that never was a believer brought into spiritual maturity by means of pressure meetings and constant uh, constant exhortation before he was prepared by the Spirit. We can't force people to grow. Uh, the Spirit has got to do his work in their hearts, in their lives to bring them uh, to that, that place. And, you know, oftentimes we think... Um, that, you know, if we get somebody to this certain meeting or, or uh, somebody says something in just the right way, that it's going to have its impact. Not apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, healthy progress is based on the apprehension, understanding, and appropriation of the truths in Christ that make for real growth. If we do not come to understand who we are and what we have in Christ, we aren't going to really grow. Growth flows from our relationship with Christ. Not just being saved, but really coming to know him as our very life. That's why Paul, when he spoke of his desire for himself, is, I want to know him. Now listen to the Apostle Paul who probably already knew him better than most of us, and yet he said, I want to know him. I want to really get to know Christ. And so, if we're going to grow, we've got to come into this uh, taking hold of and understanding and appropriating who we are and what we have in Christ. That is what will move us forward in our Christian life. Thirdly, the experiential aspect of all truth, and especially those so-called deeper truths, are closed to all but the needy heart. And that's an important one. Because until we see our need of what Christ has for us, 
we really aren't going to appropriate it. Until we come to see the fact that we cannot fix our old Adamic uh, life, we aren't going to really come to the place of being willing to embrace uh, our new life in Christ. And that's why we saw earlier in this book that one of the primary tools used by God is need. We have to see our desperate need of him. And, uh, uh, and as we see the need, then he begins to show us uh, what we have in Christ to meet that need. And so... Uh, again, this quote continued, until one is aware of his need to progress spiritually, he will never be brought beyond the birth truths, a mere babe in Christ. And that's why many Christians spend almost their whole Christian life as nothing more than a babe in Christ. Because, in a sense, they feel like when they, when they got saved, that they arrived. Really, getting saved is just the starting line. It's the beginning of the Christian life. But there's so much more uh, to it. And we have to move beyond those babe, baby truths into uh, th things that are far uh, deeper. Now, he pointed out that this subject of consecration seems to be badly misunderstood uh, by many believers. And you have, you know, oftentimes the believer is pressured to consecrate, surrender, commit his life to Christ on the basis of his love and gratitude for what has been done on his behalf uh, at Calvary. And I shared how, you know, I can relate to this in my own earlier Christian life. I said, you know, when I was growing up, I attended the rallies at Youth for Christ. And I appreciate Youth for Christ. It, it was, you know, I met a real need in my, my uh, life. But at times you'd have these speakers who would stand up and they would, they would, you know, exhort you that because of what Christ did, you should, oftentimes the term in the South is dedicate uh, yourself to Christ. And they'd have an altar call at the end and people would walk to the front and all too often I did it too. Not realizing that basically what I was doing was taking the old man down off the cross and I was walking him up to the front and saying, I want to live my life for Christ. And you notice on the bottom of this that when the when we talk about the old man, any attempt at the Christian life uh, and service are for him. It's not through him. It's for him. It's what I'm going to do for Christ. And I was never very successful at it. Now, sometimes I said I was, at times I went to the front very sincere at other times, I didn't want to be the only person left out in the audience uh, that didn't walk to the front. That would look bad. Uh, and the old man, 
is very caught up in how he looks. You know, so, uh, but, uh, you know, here it was. I, I knew nothing about who I was in Christ. What I was doing was saying, I, I appreciate what Christ did for me. He saved me. Now, I want to go out and do my best for him. Normally, it didn't get out the front door uh, before uh, I blew it in some way. Because the old man just doesn't have that capacity. And so we saw last week, it's utterly futile to expect a believer by means of consecration, surrender, or commitment, or dedication, whatever, to step from the ground of substitution, our basic salvation, onto the deeper truths of Romans 8 and Romans 12.1. Where we're yielding ourselves unto God. We have to understand, you know, the truths of who we are in Christ. It's not just that I have got to become so determined, so dedicated to do it. That is not going to change me. We said, you know, there is that all-important area of identification truth in Romans 6 and 7 that cannot be skipped over. Now, oftentimes, unfortunately, in, in teaching and things we, we, and even in our own belief system, we jump from Romans 3 through 5 where uh, we're justified, we're redeemed. And we jump from there all the way over to Romans 12.1 where we're going to yield ourselves unto God. And we skip over Romans 6 and 7 which are critical. Romans 6, and I read uh, the opening 14 verses the other week. Romans 6 talks about the fact, you know, that we died with Christ to sin. We have to understand that we were identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And until we really understand that, any attempts at the Christian life are going to result in failure. And that's where... Uh, what comes out in Romans 7 where you know I've pointed out over and over again Paul says the good I want to do I can't do and the evil I don't want to do I continually do oh wretched man that I am who's going to deliver me and then he says thanks be to God through Jesus Christ the answer is there but it's in Christ and it's in our identification with his death, burial, and resurrection. It's, it's found in me seeing that I am now alive in Christ. And I did talk about this the other week. I'll just mention it again quickly because I think it's important. And that is that in Romans 6... We are to count ourselves dead to sin, but we are not to stop there. We are to count ourselves alive unto God. 
The Christian life is not based on, on going through life counting ourselves dead to something. We're to see ourselves as having died to that, but now being alive to a whole new realm. Many Christians stop midstream. And they spend their time focusing on, I'm dead to that sin, I'm dead to that sin, I'm dead to that sin. And their focus is still on the sin. Rather than realizing, I died to that. And now, I'm alive to something entirely different and focusing on the life side of the cross. I really think that's important for you to understand. Because you don't know how many people I've run across over the years that stopped midstream. And they're spending their lives trying to focus on being dead rather than focusing on being alive. Rick, you can see why there's a lot of measurable believers. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, what is that? Yeah. If we're trying not to sin, you know, and, and not live as a life to God. Yeah. And yeah. yes, we fail, and, and yet that's where we go. Yeah. Because of what Christ has done, we're already forgiven. He took care of it. Yeah. And we can just agree with Him that it's sin and walk on. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be burdensome. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think this brings us about up to where we left off. And, uh, you know, we left off, I think I read through this, but um, we'll pick up here. The following two thoughts by Andrew Murray will help here. A superficial acquaintance with God's plan leads to the view... That while justification is God's work by faith in Christ, sanctification or growth is our work to be performed under the influence of the gratitude we feel for the deliverance we've experienced and by the aid of the Holy Spirit. But he goes on, he says, But the earnest Christian soon finds out how little gratitude can supply the power. When he thinks that more prayer will supply it, he finds that indispensable as prayer is, it is not enough. Often the believer struggles hopelessly for years until he listens to the teaching of the Spirit as he glorifies Christ again and reveals Christ as our sanctification to be appropriated by faith alone. Again, when we looked at the previous chapter, the chapter on identification, one of the writers pointed out that uh, one of the shortcomings of, the, of Luther and I think many of the other reformers was that they came to see that justification was by faith in the work of Christ. <clears throat> but then where they fell short is when they got into the Christian life part, they still fell back on a law system. And a work system. Rather than realizing we're justified by faith. We are sanctified by faith. It's our, our faith in the finished work of Christ that is going to set our lives apart. It's not my efforts with God, God's help. 
back when we get to a, a later chapter. It opens with a sentence, God did not help us get saved, he is not going to help us live the Christian life. God saved us. And he wants to produce the Christian life in us. But just like we were saved by faith, we are to live by faith. Our confidence in what God says he has done on our behalf. Yes, he said Christ died for our sins. But he also said that we died with him. That we were buried with him. That we were raised with him. That we knew, have new life in him. And so, so while many believers, are, uh, the reason they are believers is because they were willing to take God at his word that Christ died for their sins. But they aren't willing to take God at his word when it comes to the Christian life. They want it to be their victory over sin, not his. You know, they, you know, they want it to be their life lived for him rather than his life lived in them. Let's face it. What brought about the downfall of Satan and what is the greatest obstacle to salvation and the greatest obstacle to the Christian life is pride. We want to be able to take pride in what's being accomplished. We don't want to accept the fact that we really have nothing to offer God. Nothing that he wants. Except us. And then he has so much to offer us. Now he goes on. He says God works to will. And he is ready to work to do. Quoting from Philippians 2.13. But alas many Christians misunderstood this. Uh, misunderstand this. They think because they have the will, it is enough, and now they are able to do. This is not so. He says the new will is a permanent gift, an attribute of the new nature. The power to do is not a permanent gift. It must each moment be received from the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we have this will and the fact that we are now children of God, we're children of light. You know, there is this desire in us that our lives be pleasing to him. And we think that that's enough. That because we have the desire, we can turn around and we can, you know, give our all to serving him and be successful. And he's saying, look, the will is a permanent thing. It's there. 
But the power to do is something that we have got to appropriate by faith under the leading of the Holy Spirit, day by day by day, moment by moment. And he says, now and then one is called to speak out against something that is good in order to present his best. He says, the love motive from which to live the Christian life and serve the Lord is good. It is high, but it is not adequate. And he says, especially because it is not the motivation underwritten by him. Now, oftentimes, in fact, I think the majority of times in Christian circles, love is the motive that is thrown out there for us to serve the Lord. And Stanford says, look, it's high, it's a, you know, it's a high and good thing. The only thing is that love does not provide the, the resources to do it. It's a motive, but it's inadequate. And he says, as growing Christians... It's time to see the necessity of moving beyond the love motive to the life motive. What is the life motive? Well, Paul spoke of it. For me to live is Christ. You know, the motive for my Christian life, the motive for your Christian life, needs to be the fact that Christ is your source. It's not just about the fact that you love him. It's about that he is your source of life. And he goes on to say, our consecration, surrender, or commitment will never hold up if it is our responding to him on any other motive than the response to his life in us. If I am, you know, seeking to consecrate myself on any other basis than Christ's life in me, I'll be unsuccessful. He says, yielding to him on any different basis will simply amount to trying to live for him in the self-life. And I assure you, I did that for many, 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 many years. I think I pointed out last week, you know, I, I came through four years of Bible college and still did not understand the issue of, of me being in Christ and Christ being formed in me. I served 
for a number of years at FOA before I began to see some of this. And it was frustrating because I was trying my best in the old man to live the Christian life. And failing day after day after day. And I'm not saying every people around me saw me as failing. They probably saw me as being pretty good. But in my own heart, in my own mind, I knew how far short I was falling. I knew the struggles I was having. And it wasn't for lack of love of, of, for my Lord. It wasn't for lack of gratitude for what He had done. It was because I was trying to live for Him through my old Adamic life, uh, who, uh, which was unable to save me and is no, no better equipped for living the Christian life. I couldn't measure up to God's standard before I got saved. And just having my sins paid for did not make my old man any more capable than he was before he got saved. The only thing that could bring me any sort of forward progress in my Christian life was coming to see my new life in Christ. And that's been a journey that's still going on. He says, J.C., well, uh, uh, let me, uh, he says, yielding to him on any different basis will simply amount to trying to live for him in the self-life. And even if that were possible, he could never accept it. Since in that realm dwells no good thing, Romans 7.18. Plus the fact that he has already taken the old life to the cross and crucified it. You know, when we're trying to consecrate the old man to Christ. It's kind of like we're trying to drag him down off the cross, uh, put some makeup on him, and, and, you know, make him look acceptable. Or even worse, trying to put makeup on him on the cross. It's kind of futile. So he goes on, and, and you know, to back up the, the, the facts, he quotes, from, he cites Romans 6 6, Galatians 2 20, 2 Timothy 2 11, 1 Peter 2 24, all that look at, you know, a whole nature of the old life. Now, J.C. Metcalf sees, he says, both the problem and the answer. And it is that the modern teaching of consecration, which is tantamount to the consecration of the old man, seeks to bypass the death sentence and therefore leads only to frustration and failure. He says he's trying, we're tr really trying to bypass even what Romans 6 is saying. That I died with Christ. We want to avoid that. We want to jump just from being saved to now I'm going to live my life for him. 
And without coming to see ourselves as having died to the one realm and being made alive to another, all we're going to do is fail and be frustrated. But he says, when, however, you are prepared in simple humility to make the fact of our death with Christ our daily basis of life and service, there's nothing that can prevent the uprising and the outflow of new life and meet the need of thirsty souls around us. As when we're willing to embrace our death with Christ and our life with him, nothing can stand in the way. So he says, here is the crux of the matter. The question is, which life is to be consecrated to him? The old life, the old self-life, or the new Christ life. And I guarantee you, far too often, believers are trying to consecrate the old self-life to Christ. I mean, again... When I walked to the front, I can't say what everybody else's motive was or what they were doing. Only God knows the heart. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to bet pretty heavily that the vast majority that walked to the front with me, it was their old man walking up there wanting to dedicate himself to God. As you've heard me say several times, you know, in Christian circles, we hear all the time, God wants you to give your life to him. And I say, no, he doesn't. It stinks. He doesn't want your life. You know, if that's all you've ever heard, that's all you can Yeah, unless you get into the word for yourself. <laughs> and if I it, but yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and that's what's sad is so many never hear anything more than that. And it's, you know, and like I say, you hear it all the time. God wants you to give your life to him. He wants you to get out there and use your life to serve him. And he said, no. I want you to let go of your life. You know, I nailed it to the cross. I want you to let go of that nasty thing. It may look good to you and it may look good to others, but it doesn't look good to me. In it is nothing I want. But I have this brand new life for you in Christ. I want you to embrace my life. I want you to accept it. Yeah, Joe. Just the sad thing that uh, <clears throat> as Angela was saying that <clears throat> I was thinking about my sister who died when she was 31 of cancer. But she just lived an extremely frustrating life because she lived there. And she tried, but at the time I didn't know anything more yeah. really, and so I would say I lived the same, and I was in Bible school, so you know, I looked, I might have looked a little better, 
But she struggled so badly. And the thing was, Rick, that I'm thinking of, is she didn't know what to do past that. Yeah. Nobody said, I realize the Spirit could have led her. This, you know, if we're seeking Him, He can give yeah. us truth just by His Spirit within us. I do so realize that. But it just seemed she didn't know where to go. Yeah. And where do I go from here? If this is all I have and it, it's nothing. Yeah. And, and struggled with the world and hung on to the world and the things of the flesh and just never could, you know, come out of that. Yeah. Yeah. To me. Yeah. I understand now what was wrong at the time. I didn't. Yeah. Because sadly, sadly, y'all hear this. I think I thought it was better than her. Mm. But I wasn't. Right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't. And I didn't mm. know that at the time. And I had nothing more to offer her. I'm so sad. No. She knows that. Yeah. Yep. You know, I said I came through four years of Bible uh, college and didn't understand this. <clears throat> I can't say whether it was taught or not. If it did, it didn't sink home. And again, a lot of times we have to go through a time of failure before we'll even hear these truths and let them uh, sink in. So, you know, I can't say, well, my teachers never told me this. I don't know. And, and I've got such poor notes, I can't go back and look at them. So, <laughs> they wouldn't tell me anything. So, uh, I can't say. But I do know I didn't understand it. And it did take struggles and failures and things to bring me to a point where, uh, I think I shared the other week, you know, just coming to that point of saying, Lord, the price you paid for my salvation has got to be better than what I'm experiencing. Surely you didn't pay the price you did and then leave me on my own to try to do my best. And that's when he began to open my eyes to some of the truths that are there. So, he said, God can accept absolutely nothing from the old. He sees and acknowledges only that which is centered in his Son, who is our life. So he says, hence, God has but one stipulation for consecration. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Romans 6.13 Now, how many times have we read that verse and not really thought about what it was saying? That we are to, what we are to yield to God is that part of us that is alive from the dead. We are not to yield that which was nailed to the cross. We're to yield ourselves as those who have this new life in Christ. This is, he says, our only ground and from this platform we are to count ourselves dead unto sin, self, the law of the world, and alive unto God in Christ risen. To walk in newness of life, risen life. Present yourselves unto God as those alive from the dead. Again, Romans 6.13. This, he says, is the true place of consecration. 
For believers to consecrate to themselves to God ere they have learned of their union in death and resurrection, identification, is only to present to God the members of the natural man which he cannot accept. Only those alive from the dead, that is, having appropriated fully their likeness with him in death, are bidden to present their members as instruments unto God. That's why, you know, God asks us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Until we've experienced the life of Christ, we can't do that. Until we have done this, he says, there's nothing else we can do. Notice the exhortation comes after Romans 6. Again, Paul has, you know, a very, uh, well, I want to say logical, but it's more than that. But he has a real progression to what he writes. He's building as he goes. He's not randomly throwing truths out. And so, you know, uh, the exhortation comes after Romans 6. Because, as he says, crucifixion comes before consecration. Uncrucified self refuses to be consecrated. I don't know that I would ex say ex exactly the same. Uh, uncrucified self is unable to be consecrated. It may try to be consecrated. Uh, you know, I don't know that I would choose the word refuses because all too often, un uh, you know, uh, uh, uncrucified self wants to consecrate itself to God, but it's unable. It lacks the ability. This, is, he says, is why so many people, with all sincerity, myself included many times, walk down the aisles again and again, consecrating uncrucif uh, uncrucified self to God. And again, I think... Oftentimes, the term that was used back then was dedicate. And so I dedicated, then you rededicate, then you re-rededicate, and you re-re-rededicate, and ad infinitum. You keep going up there, seeking to dedicate, uh, or consecrate, or yield, or whatever you want to say, of the old man. But he's unsuccessful. He says, this is why the identification of truths must caref uh, be carefully and thoroughly presented, ultimately understood, their reality entered into. We cannot get even as far as consecration without them. Many feel that identification is an emphasis, an interesting subject ministered at a few deeper life cons conferences and Keswick conventions. But these truths are not peripheral. They are foundational. 
He said, the sixth of Romans, and I would challenge you to spend some time reading the sixth chapter of Romans. And read it again, and read it again, and read it again. The sixth of Romans is not an aspect of truth, but the foundation uh, foundational truth upon which every believer must stand to know anything about victory. It is important. You know, Luther talked about, you know, when he was reading there in in Romans, what was it, 3, and, you know, just, and he read that we were justified by faith, just the impact it had on him. Romans 6 can have an impact like that too. And I've had a number of people say that as they came to understand Romans 6, it was like getting saved all over again. Because it brought salvation down into the realm of their very life. He says all the identification truths we have learned about the cross. Our death with Christ. Our death to sin with him. Of our conformity to death like the grain of wheat falling into the ground. Are preparatory to the overcoming life. They are foundation, the foundation and fundamental to it. A careful study of all the epistles of Paul will show that they are written on the basis of the cross set forth in Romans 6. If you don't understand Romans 6, a lot of what Paul says in all of his other epistles is not really going to sink home. Romans 6 is foundational. To understand in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You know, they're based upon this understanding. He says, the fact that God consigns the old Adamic life to the cross and has nothing to say to it. God deals with all believers on the ground. In Christ you died, but the church of Christ as a whole, ignores this fact. It treats the fallen creation, the self-life, as capable of improvement, and the meaning of the cross bringing to death the old Adam race has fallen beyond repair, is thus nullified. He says, when you look out in the realm of Christendom, the church, by and large, ignores the fact of Romans 6. And it treats this old Adamic life as something that can be fixed. And many a, a believer will go home from church today very sincerely trying to fix that old Adamic life. And being unsuccessful for another week. Rick, yeah. The size, we don't have time, but the size of this is phenomenal. Because as most of us know, covenant reform and Calvinistic theology teach that upon salvation you get the Holy Spirit who enables you to reform 
who you are, and that's what pleases God, by keeping the moral law. And the size of this, going back to what Angela said, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, some of the most passionate people we know today are in that movement. They're saved. They love the Lord. But they not only don't know this, they reject it. They're not taught it. Yeah. And so the size of this is phenomenal. Yeah, I agree. It, it, you know... <sighs> In the vast majority of churches today, what is being taught is something about how to fix the old man. You put, you put uh, lipstick on a pig. Yep, yep. And until you understand that the pig is the pig, and <laughs> yeah. that it's only the life of Christ. When you teach people to look at the pig, it's hopeless. Yeah. No matter how much lipstick lipstick. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, you know, uh, so many of the theological systems out there today do totally ignore this. Yes. Yeah, and reject it, yeah. And the further extension is they never come to understand union with Christ. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah. Okay, we're out of time. Let me close in a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you that we do have a new life, that you do want us to consecrate to you. Lord, may we come to count it as true that we died with Christ and are alive unto you. And Lord, may we just daily give that new life to you, to grow, to develop, to use, to show forth Christ to those who need to meet him. Lord, we do pray for those brothers and sisters throughout this country, throughout the world, who have no idea who they are in Christ. They recognize that they're saved and they're going to heaven, but Lord, they're struggling on their own. They're failing. Some succeed externally and become proud. Others fail so miserably that they become despondent and just want to walk away from it all. But Lord, in either case, it's sad because we do have a whole new life in Christ that uh, we all can experience. It's not for the spiritual giants. It's for everyone. And so, Lord, I pray that each of us in this room would come to live on the life side of the cross. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.